0: An unsurpassed, penetrating and perfect Dharma is rarely met with, even in
1: a hundred thousand million Kalpas,
0: having it to see and listen to.
1: Good morning everyone, good morning, good morning. here in the Zendo, and here on Zoom, I have the good fortune to introduce myself. <laughs> uh, the short story is that I grew up back east uh, to uh, Jewish parents. and always felt a little different in that little town of Virginia from my uh, non-Jewish friends, and even with my Jewish friends. Growing up, we feel a little different and a little uncomfortable at times. Thankfully, many years later, I stumbled into uh, Zen community of New York and studied with Bernie Glassman. I was there for three years, and I started uh, to accept myself a little bit more readily using Buddhist practice as a way to integrate my uh, discontent with my aspiration to be contented. After three years there, uh, it felt like it was time to go. And I asked Bernie and my girlfriend at the time, where do you think I should go to continue my practice? They both said Mel and Berkeley Zen Center. So I drove cross country with my dad and arrived at my sister and now late brother-in-law's home in Oakland and came over every day twice a day to sit zazen. And um, during that time, I was in the guest room, which is a little porch room above the community room, uh, back porch, and I stayed there uh, for six weeks. And during that time, uh, Sojin Roshi and Liz and their son Daniel moved from where the Sinalkis live now to a house they purchased in North Berkeley. So I slid into there and became a resident full time. That was 35 years ago now. And now I'm here. So a while ago, Sojiroshi gave a lecture on the original meaning of the swastika. And he wanted to reclaim it for its uh, inspiration and origins of um, spiritual practice. And it inspired me to reflect on what black and dark represent in zen in this day and age people's color has become a talking point and an important part of our culture in accepting everyone and so this isn't a talk on social science in the meaning of being black
2: as a race or skin color. But the meaning of black in Buddha Dharma.
1: And my hope is that we look at black and white a little differently uh, after this talk. And I look forward to hearing what you may have to say or ask in uh, question or comment after my talk, and to keep this dialogue open and continuing uh, after we end
2: today. Sogenroshi said, "Our
1: aspiration to wake up shouldn't be called enlightenment; it should be called indarkenment."
2: He only said it one time in my presence but it stuck with me. He said
1: that black is the highest and represents the empty, boundless
2: potential of all dharmas. We've heard the term form and emptiness. We live in the light of form. And we must cultivate an understanding of the dark, of emptiness. Emptiness and form are presented in the Heart Sutra that we chant every day.
1: Black and white are represented in Dungshan or Tozan Ryokai's five positions of practice.
2: And dark and light, the harmony of difference and
1: equality in the Sandokai is what we chanted our founders ceremony is yet a third instance of this duality of color. Dark refers to the absolute where there is neither material nor spiritual value
2: the world of stillness, of equality. is contrasted
1: to the world of light, the relative dualistic
2: expressions of activity, both in our mind and in our body. In the Sandokai,
1: which uh, we have a book called Branching Streams Flow in the Darkness, commentary by Suzuki Roshi on this uh, old poem of Sekito from
2: 1300 years ago. Says, the cause and conditions of our life,
1: which are the the branching streams which flow in the dark,
2: Suzuki Roshi says, we're okay as we are. In that darkness. In the light. In the relative world. We can use some improvement. So we're okay as we are and we can use some improvement.
1: In the Sandokai, it says, branching stream flow in the dark, clear and murky phrases are distinguished in the light. So we need both. We need to be able to distinguish or discern
2: differences, and we also need to cultivate an acceptance of justice. In the Sandokai, it says clear and murky phrases are distinguished in the light. I like to
1: think think also of, we need to distinguish the clear and murky
2: phases of our life. We are both. How do we accept ourselves? If we do not honor the dark, we will be caught by the light and never fully accept our small self. And have a show of hands, I'm being rhetorical. We may have a show of hands who fully accept our small selves. I will not raise my hand because I have moments of not accepting my small self. So how do I get through my life? How do we get through our lives not accepting ourselves? Well, if I'm really accepting my small self
1: and I'm like this, that I'm manifesting some kind of arrogance,
2: which people construe as, well, you're just being egotistical. And if I beat myself up in not accepting my small self, well, that's ego also. And in our
1: practice, we have to have a health, a healthy self to let go of our self, that small self,
2: and accepting our small self. So, how do we do that? Zazen helps. Talking helps.
1: Talk therapy, talk therapy helps a lot. Again. I've done all three, and I think a lot of you all have done the same. Sandokai says, or states, in the light there is darkness, but don't take it as darkness. In the dark there is light, but don't see it as light. Light and darkness oppose one another like the front, like the foot before and the foot behind in walking. When I think about this. And in the world of inclusivity and our varying states of mind, I like to think of, besides the foot before and the foot behind in walking, like the knee ahead and the knee behind in crawling. I think we've all experienced times in our life when we were crawling to get through life.
2: I remember vivid instances of crawling. I remember
1: more metaphorical instances of crawling, not accepting the causing and conditions of my life that brought
2: me to a, an awareness of great despair and discontent. And I also think about,
1: besides walking and crawling, rolling in a wheelchair, feeling the body move toward something and away from something else. So whether we're walking on our feet, crawling on our knees,
2: rolling in a wheelchair, we are moving. Where are we moving to? Suzuki Roshi said, there is, is it the best translation in relation
1: to there in the light, there is dark and in the dark, there is light. Uh, That feels dualistic or self-dualistic.
2: There's this dark and there's this light. It feels separate. He said, it's more like skin. In the light skin, there is dark. That's a very different feeling, a much more intimate feeling. Indistinguishable sides or parts. This reminded me of Bodhidharma's
1: Acknowledgement of his four students when asked them, when he asked them to present their understanding of the Dharma. With one, he said, you have my skin. Next one, you have my flesh. Third one, you have penetrated my bones. And the last one, you have attained my marrow. So the conventional understanding of that is varying degrees of understanding, skin, kind of surface, flesh, a little deeper, bones, deeper still, and marrow, whoa, whoa, okay, you get the prize, so, Wenka uh, or Taiso Eka, received Dharma, uh, entrustment, or acknowledgement, or transmission from Bodhidharma, and his name is chanted, uh,
2: in our liturgy, so, in a sense, he got it. But how does that help us? What about the other three people who had some understanding? Well, in Dogen's understanding, skin, flesh,
1: bone, and marrow are one thing. They are indistinguishable. Now, you may start thinking, well, if I'm picking up a piece of chicken and I'm biting into the skin, and eating that, and then chewing on the flesh, and then gnawing at the bone
2: and picking off the flesh. Well that all feels very separate. However, if you are really eating that bird. It's one thing. Yes, we can talk about skin, flesh, bows, and marrow,
1: but from a practice place, to see the dark side, to see the intimacy of this life, is just one thing.
2: And when you're really into it, it's just that. I also think of
1: um, the line of skin, flesh, bones, and marrow as an allusion to our
2: varying stages of development and practice. In the Sandokai,
1: there's a line that says, some are clever and some are not. Now, when I first heard that, I thought, well, I want to be a clever person. I want to be smart. I want to be known for my smartness. I don't want to be not so smart and kind of dumb. But this is an acknowledgement that we are where we are and we fully accept our understanding at whatever point we are at in life. It's okay to have an aspiration to be smart and understand, but we all cover, our shadows all cover the ground equally. The light shines on our body on this body and it casts a shadow on the ground. When We look at the black shadow on the ground or against the wall, it's all the same. That's seeing into the dark. When you light a candle in a dark room, where does the light go? When you light, when you extinguish a candle in a light room, I apologize, I I, uh, misspoke. When you light a candle, in a dark room, where does the dark go? When you extinguish the candle, where does the light go? Neither goes anywhere. There's an epithet for Shakyamuni Buddha called Tathagata, which translates as thus come, thus gone, which I understand that to be. I'm not going here. This person's not going here or going there. It's thusness, coming and going, arising and passing away, light and dark. It's more seamless, intimate quality of change, moment by moment. We are caught by our perceptions. So in my uh, lingering desire to be smart and sharp and upright and encouraging to you all, I made a mistake a moment ago and misread my notes about light and dark and the candle. So the brain, my brain, this brain is very quick to go <laughs> to the light. oh Ross, you just screwed up. Are you gonna say something about it? Did anyone catch that mistake that I made? And then eating my humble pie, I apologize. And I bring forth what's written down here on the notes, which hopefully is uh, more understandable. So as Dogen said, it's one continuous mistake In the light. And if we see deeply into the dark, there are no mistakes. It's just the cause and conditions of our life. And what's been helpful for me in the years of sitting Zazen is exploring this darkness, which is Suzuki, in his words, his beginner's mind. Where am I? Where am I? Being fresh moment by moment. Well, how does all this talk help us understand our discomfort? In Zazen, our body sits on the earth. It connects us downward to the dark still center of the earth. So is that literal or metaphorical? Do I have an auger on the back of my butt and I'm digging down to the center of the earth? Well, not really. But my intention is to go as deep as I can and be as still as I can. you can ask any dancer about their feet because they are moving and my sense is that dancers are very attuned to their feet and the connection to the earth even if they are so-called off the earth and up in the air because they have to anticipate where am i going to land on earth. Where am I going to land into the dark after expressing the light in this graceful movement of dance. So our upright posture is in the light. This is a trunk and branches as stated in the Sandokai, that share the essence of the dark. So the metaphor of a tree is really apt, upright tree, rooted in the earth. Nourished from the earth, the roots nourish the tree. We get our nourishment from the earth. So all that said, most likely we did not come to Zen practice because of our realization of emptiness and the dark. We came to Zen practice because of our realization of our discontent in the light and not harmonizing with the duality that is this light. So we have the activity of light and the stillness of dark. When i feel discontent or agitated i don't feel so light sometimes these words can be changed i feel kind of heavy and dark but it's actually the light that is disturbing me the world of the relative and the differences have you ever noticed when you are discontent upset beside yourself, that you may close your eyes. You may take a deep breath. What's that about? What's your body telling you? that your mind can't tell you. Go to the dark. Go to the black. Where the branching streams, the causes and conditions of my life, flow. Breathe with that. Take it all in on the inhalation, let it go on exhalation, all the while sitting upright to regain your composure. Susan Marvin told a story uh, recently about being outside the abbot's office during Sojin's time here, and he was being, um, Uh, confronted by a Zen student in a strongly worded argument about something which she couldn't quite make out, which isn't so important, but Susan heard it outside. And she wondered, how in the hell are you sitting there, Sojin, listening to this? So he spoke to him a couple days afterwards about that. And he simply said, I saw the other side of this person. What's that other side? This person expressing the light. <laughs> and the other side is the darkness, the stillness, the Buddha that brought this person through the gate in the first place, many, 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 many years ago. So when we investigate the dark abiding nature of life on our seat of stillness, when the bell rings, we get up and investigate the light abiding nature of life in activity. So our thumb goes like this, and our hand goes over like that. And we're in shashu, which is uh, in the, above the uh, navel, below our chest bone, basically our arms are parallel to the floor. Looks like that. So behind the rakasu, this is what you would see. Um, one finger wrapped by however many fingers one has around it. So that's called a mudra. And it demonstrates light and dark, the oneness and the myriad, the oneness of life, which is the thumb that is parallel to our spine and goes to the center of the earth and reminds us to keep upright, the oneness, the stillness, the absolute of all things, just as they are or just as it is, as Suzuki Roshi said. And the fingers wrapped around that oneness are the light, all the myriad things that we think and do and feel and express. So the harmony is contained within this mudra. So what am I doing with my hands? They're on my side or I'm scratching or making noise in the microphone? Or am I maintaining this posture in walking, in rolling, in moving from stillness, which is is like this, this and this, the one and the many. So here we are on earth, in earth, so-called place of our life and the relative, what we have to deal with, and the heavens above, the vast open boundless space of heaven that accepts our small little self down there on earth. Where is heaven? Is it up there? It's over there maybe? Well, heaven, while classically depicted as the heavens, actually extends all the way down to below our feet, heaven, sky, horizon, all the way down to our feet. So we're actually walking, (coughs) rolling, crawling in heaven. The compassionate benevolence of heaven is where we are living then traces its ancestry back to a story where the Buddha held up a flower. I'll hold up my watch, simulating. Buddha holds up a watch and blinks. And Mahakashapa smiled. So what does that story represent? For me, it feels like the flower is raised in the light. This activity here. Do you all see it? Mahakashapa saw it and smiled. And in that acknowledgement, he was entrusted with the practice to carry on for now 2,500 or so years. But what about that blink that Shakyamuni Buddha expressed after holding up the flower? Well, for me, it means or demonstrates a moment of darkness, a moment of stillness, within the activity, the activity of the flower and the stillness of just this. There's a saying you maybe have heard over your years in life, you know, things aren't so black and white. Well, I think they are. Things are black and white, according to Buddhist thought. And we get to live with that in the gray, in the mix, so to speak, of black and white.
3: In Zazen,
1: We lower our eyes, not focusing on anything in particular, and maintain upright posture and follow our breath. It's very, very simple. Well, when we lower our eyes and not focus on anything in particular, fuzziness comes into focus. The distinction of black and white, of this and that, of cushion and wall, of cough and silence, all the things that we experience in Zazen come together in the fuzziness of lowered eyebrows and not thinking about any particular thing. That's where we're encouraged not to look around because that's just filling our mind up with more light and more things. Now it's important to look both ways before you cross, but we're in the Zendo and people are pretty good about, you know, not crossing the solid yellow line. And so I don't think we're going to get hit. So it's an opportunity to let go and just be upright and enjoy the stillness and safety in activity. You know, we get splashed occasionally by this and that, intentionally or not, by friends and by so-called adversaries. So what do we do with that? When we're going along, what the hell was that splash? What was that about?
3: Well, my feelings get
1: hurt if I feel insulted, minimized, in the presence of some arrogant person who's trying to put me down, you know, the usual things that can upset us. And I feel sort of justified in my feelings of anger and upset and surprise and disbelief and quite often have the impulse to want to say something back. Sometimes I do, and sometimes I don't. It reminds me of uh, something Sojin Roshi told me some time ago in the midst of a uh, disagreement, a very strong disagreement about something. Um, My apartment adjoins the abbot's office and we share a kitchen. So, I was in the kitchen, and Soji Roshi, uh opened the door to carry on this uh, discussion. And he said, in an upright posture, but not puffed up, you can spit on me. You can spit on me. You can spit on me. He said it once. I said it three times for emphasis. I was a little taken aback by it. I was not going to spit on him, but I understood the sentiment by which he expressed himself. My late brother-in-law was from England and he used to use the term dear and sweetie, which I adopted because I, kind of like saying those words to my friends, who I felt an endearment towards or a sweetness towards. And I would do that without even questioning it or wondering. But um, someone asked me not to use that term when addressing them. And I was kind of surprised the light side of me said, well gosh you know I'm honoring my late brother-in-law I like you and I'm saying this to myself I say it as a as an affection or term of endearment and they said please don't say that. So I refrained from addressing them with that I didn't judge it I wanted to honor what they asked of me, because the cause cause and conditions of my life are different than the cause and conditions of my friend's life who had that exchange with. So not knowing and witnessing the person's upset or discontent and request not to be called that was too important, and so I had to unlearn Uh, this person dear or sweetie when I casually would see them around so that's the light side and an important side and we are very versed in what we train ourselves and we get the help from others who are versed in this uh, field of uh, speaking up and uh, maintaining a safe boundary in our life and relationship To know when to uh, express oneself and what one's needs are in life and in the light
2: very important equal value to the dark which is where i felt sojin roshi
1: was coming from and saying you can spit on me because when one sees deeply into the dark unconditioned nature of all beings, there's nobody to be spat on. There's nobody hearing, dear or sweetie. There's no one present to experience, you asshole, stupid, all that. So how do we balance our histories? And the karma accrued from volitional action of others, as well as our own, to bring these two together, the light and the dark. Well, I leave that question to you all to ponder. We have a few minutes to receive questions or comments. to Continue this dialogue. Thank you very much for your attention. Hiko.
3: Ross, uh, thank you for a uh, wonderful talk, and I really appreciated your uh, effort to be very specific and how much value that added to the distinctions you were making. Thank you for that. Uh-huh. Um, when you were talking about uh, the Thus Come One, you, you might want to look at your notes, uh, the Tathagata, uh-huh. and you said that uh, uh, Thus Come One, Thus Gone One, mm-hmm. and then you made a statement saying when the buddha comes into and i'm not sure exactly how it was phrased this next thing what is he bringing or something along that that i was hearing and that's what i heard yeah and so my question for you is does the buddha ever move from one moment to another and uh when i was posing that question in my head a few minutes later you said you can also arrive fresh in each moment so, when the Buddha talks about, when I read it and think about the Buddha, to me the Buddha lives and dies now, lives and dies in the next moment, lives and dies in each moment, thus come, mm-hmm. because of thusness and the nature of thusness. I would ask you again, where does the Buddha come from when he arrives in this moment, and where does he go when he's done with this moment? And who is that? The challenge question is,
1: it is. Yeah. Well, it's no different than where you come and where you go. It's no different. The Buddha was a person. So he came and went. And in this moment, it's just this. And the teaching of thus come, thus gone is just this. As Hose was talking, last week about the geese overhead where did they go no different than the buddha we think oh well they must be going south for the winter or you know whatever the people thinking about is just this so the geese and the buddha are no different we tend to ascribe more importance to this person and where i'm going and where i'm going up the ladder or down the ladder this relationship that uh, project but actually it's just what's going on The abbot of our temple this morning mopped the porches of the Zendo. Now, if he was attached to, I am the abbot, and I have more important things to do because I am going here and have to do this and that, he wouldn't have received the uh, request to mop the porches. He said, okay, that's an expression of thus come, thus gone. Thus come the invitation to mop the porch. Thus goes out. Yes. So it's all about attitude. And our attitude around around our life, around this life, merges. With the duality of, I have more important things to do. It's just, what's the next thing? What is the next thing? Thank you for your question. I hope that helps. Uh, nobody online that I see, so Helen, please. Good morning. Good
0: morning. During our talk today, I found myself thinking, I really don't belong here, and I'm quite confident that wasn't your intention. Uh I wonder whether you would say a few words to um, sort of encapsulate maybe what your intention was.
1: The intention of my talk was, uh, thank you for your question, um, is to express what I've learned, how I've lived a life that's changed from um, protective, slightly slumped, loneliness, to a more upright meeting things moment by moment. When you asked your question, I had a feeling of not not belonging here. I thought of 36 years ago when I was in New York and having the same feeling, I don't belong here anymore. And it was really sad for me because I felt I was, and it changed so much. The circumstance of my life changed so much. And all I know is about myself and what what I've needed to do. Um, So when Sojin Roshi told me, when I uh, went through my divorce, Now you get to practice alone. And the same thing came up about, but I'm in this community and do I belong here? Practicing alone, I might as well just go back out in the world like I was before I came to Zen Center.
3: And I realized
1: after crawling on my knees and regaining my composure and standing upright, That practicing with you all enabled me to remain at home and to feel okay about being here, even though I felt alone and wondering about belonging. So that was my intention, does that um, address or shed a little light on some of the We
4: can talk some more, perhaps, if uh, inclined. Um, Joel. Yeah, good to see you. Thank you. Beautiful talk. Um, I find myself very worried um, about myself and others um, trying to emulate or embody to at least some degree and one of my heroes, the bodhisattva who never disparages. I think my experience is at this point, that's very hard, and I and other people seem to me to be very prone to disparage others. And um, a situation where someone, it's very hard for some people to say things because they're perhaps afraid of being disparaged, or that it will be automatically assumed that they have um, feelings or positions, which in fact they don't. Mm -hmm. So, I just wondered what your thinking is, um, what advice you have, how can we all move closer in our present situation towards the bodhisattva who never disparages?
1: that's a really great question joel yeah and my response is accept your disparagement Mm. accept the thought that arises of disparagement Mm. i remember before um soja's lecture we did bodhisattva ceremony Mm -hmm. and uh he commented at the beginning of that lecture that during the bodhisattva ceremony he was having disparaging thoughts
4: Mm -hmm.
1: and I kind of chuckled because that's I have disparaging thoughts. Mm -hmm. Someone told me that uh, they accompanied him outside the gate of the temple Mm -hmm. some years ago and he uh, mentioned this thought he had that was uh, probably something he wouldn't want to be talking about publicly. and. Um, I had an exchange with Sojin once in our kitchen when he was having a difficult time, and and it was in this sort of vein of um, not such wholesome or upright thoughts.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And uh, I said, you know, actually, I feel closer to you because you feel more human to me, mm-hmm. knowing that you uh, express You know, through words and whatnot, things that are not so upright, because I had this idea that, well, of course, you're not going to have disparaging thoughts. An enlightened person doesn't do that. Well, I think an enlightened person or an awakened person doesn't attach to the thoughts. It's when we cultivate the, the, when the, the seed of disparagement feeds us, and then we create a story, and then we start hurting ourselves more. And hurting others, mm-hmm. so how do we balance? Oh, there's that thought. There's that
4: thought. Right. Well, I think what you were talking about is expressing such a thought, um, or, or not, or or not. not like you know, in your thing with Sweden. Um, maybe the person had a thought disparaging you for using a word. Mm-hmm. And was very skillful and you were very skillful in meeting that um, and so how do we judge we have a thought and maybe we accept that indeed we are having that thought mm-hmm. but then what do we do with that and as you yeah. say sometimes you express it sometimes you don't
1: well here, uh i apologize I, um, we're getting a little yeah out of time. So yeah, can, continue. just to bring it back to, to my talk and the intention of my talk, when something arises in me mm-hmm. that is not so wholesome, mm-hmm. it gets me into a little yeah. hamster wheel, right? and I want to I get back at someone and create such, then I think, if I die in this moment, is this how I want to go out? Or this is just my opinion. This is just my opinion. This is just my thought. And both of those, in my view, go back to the darkness. Yeah. But it's so easy to get caught in the light.
0: Yeah.
1: In the dark, there is light, but do not be caught by that light. Yeah. 1300 years ago, and it's still valuable today yeah we don't need to um go any further thank you very much thank you joel thank you all very much that's a wrap thank you beings are numberless i vow to awaken with them delusions are
0: inexhaustible. Possible I vow to become it. Me.